The curtains of the hotel room were closed and the air reeked of urine and mold. In the dark, an old man sat naked in a chair alone. He had been there for weeks, eating only chocolate bars and relieving himself in glass bottles. His hair was long and greasy, and his nails were the same length as his fingers. On the table next to him, a phone rang. Yes? He answered. The voice on the other end of the line explained a sale of shares. How much? The recluse asked. Half a billion dollars, came the reply. In that moment, the eccentric billionaire, aviator, and movie mogul Howard Hughes became the richest man in America. And that isn't even the best part of his story. Howard Robard Hughes Jr. is his full name. We all know him as Howard Hughes, probably one of the most eccentric and wealthy and both brilliant and insane people of the 20th century, somebody who we couldn't possibly avoid covering in blind history. I'm joined as ever by Anthony Meterer, and it's always good to see you, Ant, because it means that we can talk about someone else who has a real story behind them. I love it. Absolutely love it. And 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 Howard Hughes is, is somebody that's always fascinated me, along with millions of other people around the world. Yeah, why do you think it is that he's so interesting? I mean, he at one point was the richest man in the world. At one point he was you know, designing and 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 coming up with plans for planes during World War II. He was asked to help the 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 US Air Force. I mean, all of these things are, are cool. He also slept with some of the most beautiful women in Hollywood. The guy just seems to have lived ten lives in one. Yeah, I think uh, the the fascination comes in to have this millionaire at the, at the age of twenty running up a huge corporation in his twenties, already starting to to um, direct films and dates. He was a playboy, and also he was a flyer. He took risks. He was broke the speed barrier. These are all ingredients to, for a for a, a very attractive uh, person. So. Let's just talk about his origins quickly because his dad started off as nothing. He was really just wandering around, kind of a bit of a panhandler, hoping to get some work here, there, everywhere. But he found himself in the right place at the right time. And there was oil and someone needed to drill for this oil. And he came up, his dad, that is, um, the, the Howard Hughes Sr., with an excellent drill bit that had 60-something cutting edges. And this thing was one of those amazing inventions that comes along once in a while and changes the whole world. And he made a fortune out of this. Yes, correct. And how important was oil then? It was the cars were just starting to to gain. And uh, there were so many different things that you'd need from it. And he made massive amounts of money, but then he promptly died. <laughs> and, he, and, his, and his wife had just died. So, Oi, so let's, just was... talk, let's just talk about Howard Hughes' mother for a second, because she was also, there were a lot of problems. Yeah, so his mom mm-hmm. was very, very protective over the young Howard. And she was always scared that he might get sick. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and so she, she, she molly, molly coddled, coddled him and uh, there was polio going around. So he slept in her bedroom at night. Um, there were a whole lot of sort of 
weird things that went on. He didn't have a lot of friends. I think his upbringing from his mom's side created a lot of anxiety for him that, that might have started the OCD or could have been a reason or, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not um, a psychologist in that regard, but she definitely played a role in his early life at maybe not a uh, positive role. No, and I think maybe his um, eccentricities later on and his germ phobia and all of that stuff may have come from a mother who was a bit neurotic. Either way, the guy inherits all of this money. Both parents are gone, but he's got tons of cash. And what does he decide to do? He decides to chase down his two greatest passions, um, the one being flying and the other one being Hollywood. But just before we get to flying, there's a cool story. I don't know if you heard this about the Harvard... I think it was Harvard-Yale uh, boat race. And yes. he, he was sitting, the, the elder Howard Hughes was sitting with young Howard Hughes Jr. and said to him, if Harvard win this race, I will buy you anything you want. And he said, cool. And Harvard won the race. And then all Howard Hughes wanted was a $5 ticket to fly in a plane. It was the first time he'd ever seen a plane. It was the first time he'd flown in one. His father got very, very ill flying in this plane. But Howard Hughes decided at that point this was something he wanted to do for the rest of his life. So that's where he developed this abiding passion for flying in that moment. Yeah, that's insane. Um, you can just see it. You know, there's a, there's, there's a few uh, people that are, that are saying that there's a bit of similarity between Howard Hughes and Elon Musk. I don't know if you've read that recently. <laughs> no. But just their, their personalities and their, their, you know, their high work ethic and their sort of, I don't know, you know, they're, they're a bit crazy. Yeah. Oh, definitely. So do you want to just explain, like, because they made that famous movie, The Aviator, which uh, Leo DiCaprio starred as Howard Hughes in. And, you know, for dramatic reasons, they accentuated certain things and left out others. But the real Howard Hughes was, I mean, he was a proper mogul. He was extremely successful in almost everything that he did. And he would get involved to the tiniest details he insisted on flying on test flying any of his new planes himself yeah so he started his own aviation business during the time or near the end of his hollywood directing career and yeah he broke the the speed record in a plane he built to design himself so <laughs> the fastest in terms of the speed record and also the fastest continental flight across america and then he also broke the record for the fastest around the world, I think, which is around 91 hours. So all of this he did insanely, if you can think about what he'd done already. Um, he'd already pro produced um, some incredible movies that won major awards. And mm, Well, let's um, just talk about his Hollywood career for a second because that, that's not yeah. nothing. Um, he had a, a company called RKO, and RKO was a chain of – movie theaters, studios, uh, you know, picture company. And he used to write and direct and cast and do everything in the movie himself. In fact, I think his first major hit was called Hell's Angels. He spent such an inordinate amount of time and money on this that most people thought it would never get to the theaters. And when it did, it was a massive success and recouped all of its costs and some. Yeah, I think it's because it, because he uh, courted controversy and he was constantly being censored mm. in in what he did. So it, rightly, what you said, as an example, the um, Scarface, which was yeah. built, uh, which was a movie about Al Capone, the, the censor said it was too violent, 
and there was then, too much uh, swearing. The, oh, correct. There was too much swearing, and then a, um, a film later on about the cowboys that effectively had um, he he was censored because of maybe more evocative dress sense. Oh yeah. Um, I, yeah, I mean, he kept casting women who who were wearing low cut tops and things, but he knew what the audience wanted, and he actually went and sued the censor board and won and got his movie exactly the way he wanted it on the circuit. And and it was a, a massive hit, you know. Nothing mm. brings people in like that. Um, then then something like that. But I think it was called the Outlaw, and and um, he he had to design a special brasé. <laughs> Um, to to accentuate the lead actress's um, assets, as I said, <laughs> and um, yeah, and, and 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 that that just drove people to go and watch these um, these movies of his. So he was extremely um, successful, let's say, on that. Yeah, I mean. I don't want to spend too much time talking about his business acumen because that is phenomenal. But it's safe to say that by the time he'd already started to go a bit crazy and he was living in Vegas, he sold uh, TWA, Transworld, Transworld Airlines, and uh, he made a billion dollars, I mean, in those mm. days. So he was the richest guy on earth at that point. And I, I talk about all of this stuff in sort of a glib way, but all these Hollywood stars, he had affairs with so many of these women, um, and these are the most beautiful women in the world at the time. Yeah, Betty Davis, Ava Gardner, yeah. right. Olivia de Havilland, Catherine right. Hepburn, Ginger Rogers, Janet mm-hmm. Lee, Rita Hayward. Mm-hmm. Uh, we spoke a little bit about Hedy Lamarr. Um, oh, yeah. she was she was one of our blind history um, episodes in the pre- one of the previous seasons, but she was special. You know, if you had to listen to that season, and, and he saw her more as a a, a um, colleague in in the design field and aviation rather than a girlfriend. But he also had a narrow escape with death. Um, he was testing out one of his planes around this time, and uh, apparently everything was fine for the first part of the flight. And then somewhere in the middle, one of the propellers failed, and he had to make an emergency landing. And he was trying to aim for a, a fairway of one of the golf courses but instead went into a house and narrowly escaped death. But after that developed quite a number of health issues, which led him into, mm. you know, pain relief and morphine and codeine and God knows what else. But by then, you know, he up to then rather, he'd had a very successful time in the sky, despite mm. designing all these slightly precarious vehicles in the sky. And then when he fell down in in that particular crash i think it really hit him hard mentally and physically yeah and around that time gareth when the second world war broke out the government approached him because he was a leading designer in aviation and uh, um approached him to build war planes which in which he did but like his movies he was always behind significantly behind schedule and um and in the same way he was here but he produced um uh, this the, the largest plane in the world which he was going to um was going to transport troops uh i think it had eight engines it was called the hercules h4 or, yeah. or h4 hercules and the press used to call it the spruce goose goose mm-hmm. uh, the largest plane ever built and um he, by the time it was finished it was 1947 and so he uh, he'd missed that that's the opportunity but he still flew it albeit for 1.6 kilometers and um, and then he put it in a hanger for the rest of its life. 
Yeah, I mean, it had the longest wingspan of any plane, and it only flew once, as you said, for one mile. But he was very proud of this, and he continued to design planes for a long time. In fact, the only time that he came out of kind of hiding and out of his reclusive um, stage of his life was to take a plane around London later on, which he did completely naked, but we'll get to that in a moment. Um, it's probably worth mentioning at this point also that he had at some stage decided that he wanted to go and live in Vegas because there was a lot happening in Vegas. There were a lot of casinos. He wanted to get in on the real estate market and he booked himself into the desert inn. where he had the penthouse suite and instead of, you know, most of us would stay in a hotel for a couple of days, maybe if we're in town for a long time, a couple of weeks, but he stayed for years. Yeah, and, and um, this is really where his behavior started to go or became more and more eccentric. And it rightly yeah. said, as, as you mentioned, um, <laughs> you know, the airplane crash might have had something to do with it, but reclusive lifestyle um, and at, at worsening OCD. Um, oh, yeah. I think that's... Uh, and it, it's actually quite sad um, because uh, a lot of people say maybe that's also part of the reason why he was so successful. But, you know, there's others that say, look, if he didn't have that, how successful he would have been. But it really, the, you know, the curtains were drawn. He thought darkness would help with his contamination fears. And the curtains became rotten in in, in the, uh, the deserts, you know, the desert inn where he was staying because of the fact that they were closed for so, for so long. And then um, they, you know, they started putting pressure on him to say, you know, you can't rent this for so long. So then he bought the hotel and he <laughs> bought a whole lot of other properties in. Uh, but he would, in, he would wear shoeboxes on his feet. Um, Correct. Or, or yes. tissue boxes if he could find them because he didn't want to touch the floor. Uh, he let his beard and his hair grow out of control and his nails grow out of control. Mm -hmm. uh, he only ate the same thing for dinner. That was according to... Um, to one of his friends, he'd have a New York strip steak cooked medium rare, dinner salad and peas, dinner salad rather, salad and peas, and only the smaller peas. He didn't want the large ones. And for breakfast, he wanted his eggs cooked exactly the same way his cook Lily used to make them. That was all. That was all he wanted. Um, so he became a little bit paranoid as well. He was constantly worried mm. that everyone was stealing his ideas and that people were recording him. Uh, that he couldn't take phone calls, that he couldn't do this, he couldn't do that. He became very, very weird. Yeah, and and um, and it did play out. There was a there was an incident where somebody um, launched a biography of, of of Howard Hughes, and he got very upset and phoned the press <laughs> to say that it was it was false and not his. And but nobody had heard from him, so that he, because it nobody had spoken to him. For, for so long and the fact that he came out and said that and the guy was chucked in prison because it was a fraud <laughs> but a whole lot of things went around at the time um, as he became more and more let's say um, unstable well he also used to sit in a dark movie studio for hours even days just watching movies and even his own movies and trying to edit them and make notes but he would sit there totally naked in the dark watching movies without any care for eating, drinking, going to the loo. It was very unsanitary. He became, mm. without a doubt, completely obsessive compulsive. And then also talking to that point um, uh, where his staff, you know, he also ordered his staff to wash their hands multiple times. <laughs> and then they had to layer their hands with paper towels, you know, when serving his, serving his food. Um, 
but you know, these these compulsive rituals, uh, with, with the fact that he was so rich and he and he could pay the people wasn't a problem for him. And he got away with all of it and uh, delegating it. But they were he gave huge complex instructions for handling all sorts of things. He had lots of uh, relationships and affairs, but he didn't have any surviving children, did he? No, he didn't. And and that's also when he did pass away, it, there was so much. Um, confusion and there was a whole lot of turmoil around his will and where where his will would be settled now he eventually died in 1976 which feels like it isn't that long ago um, but he would he died i think appropriately on board an aircraft um it was a Correct, Learjet, yeah. and he yeah. was actually being flown from uh, his penthouse in acapulco to the methodist hospital in houston where he was seeking medical attention and they say it was kidney failure but, you know, whatever it was that killed him, it must have also involved the painkillers because there were lots of those going in and out then. And his kidneys were damaged. His internal organs were damaged. His brain. Um, they did say that he was, he was otherwise fairly healthy, but, you know, wasn't going to last forever like any human being. Mm -hmm. X-rays revealed he had broken off hypodermic needles in his arms. And wow. yeah, and, and, he looked really terrible. He weighed like 90 pounds, which means he was skeletal. He had all this hair. I mean, he didn't look great at the end. He would have been a frightening thing to behold. And yeah, they said he was emaciated and his body was so thin and they likened it to a captive from Japanese prison of war camp. So it's, it, <sighs> it must have been frightening. And you must know his nails were, oh were probably 50 feet long. And um, in the end, he let himself go. He never used to... Um, brush his teeth anymore. So it's, it's strange for somebody that was so paranoid about cleanliness, how this is basically what happened. OCD can be hardcore. Oh, it can be horrific and it can be life altering and not in a good way. Now, what about these rumors that he actually didn't die? Because there were, there were all kinds of alleged survival stories told that he'd actually faked his death because he just wanted to escape the public eye. I remember growing up um, at the time and it was always the belief that Howard Hughes was actually alive. He just wanted the world to leave him alone. And, and so he faked it so that nobody could chase him anymore. And he would, you know, he could finally be at peace. But I don't think there's any truth to those, to those rumors. Another interesting fact I saw about him was this testimony he gave to Congress because they thought that he'd maybe been price gouging during the war. You know, they needed his acumen and his designs and his ideas to help develop these planes that he did. And Congress wanted to make sure that he hadn't tried to extort money from them because they obviously saw how rich he was, you know, considering he'd made that money in many places, not just with his government contracts. But the, the thing I liked is you can actually st still see the video of Howard Hughes in Congress. And he stands up for himself. He said, I have not been called here to have to defend my honor and my name. He said, basically, if you guys don't realize how much I've done for you, I'll just take all my stuff and get the hell out of here. I'll go and move mm -hmm. to another country. So he was unapologetic and not afraid of, of being called to Congress and seemingly one of those guys who you just didn't mess with. He was, he, was a, he was a strong human being with a strong personality and he knew what he was good for. Yeah, this was highly publicized, like you rightly say. You can actually watch it now. And he sparred properly with the senator, Owen Brewster, and ultimately That's right. he prevailed. He was, so, he was so clever. I mean, he ran circles around this guy. 
So I like the comparison that you made with Elon Musk earlier on, and it's one that obviously there are lots of people on the internet who are saying the same things. But what do you think it was that made him so attractive as, as a as a character? Was it the eccentricity, the fact that he went into hiding for so long and that people didn't have access to him? Was it the wealth or was it a combination of all of these things, including the womanizing and the movies and yeah, I think that it was a combination of of all of it. The fact that nobody knew him, in, in a way, is, it was very attractive. And then actually, some um, admirers would try and tame him, or feel that they will be the one to tame him. And you know, so I think a lot of that, and the fact that he had lots of money, and also the um, highly intelligent and um, driven individual. I think it's all of those things, and very much the fact that he disappeared. Um, that he that nobody saw him for for years and years and years. Um, apparently, he was obsessed with one movie called Ice Station Zebra. It was made in 1968, and he had it running on a continuous loop in his house the whole time. And he watched it, according to his aides, over 150 times. Wow. And when he made a movie called The Conqueror, which was a bit of a failure, flopped at the box office and everywhere else, he bought every copy of the film for $12 million and watched it on repeat again and again. Um, they eventually, wow. at, Par- at Paramount Pictures, they eventually bought the film in 1979 after his death. And you've got to wonder what it was that caused such a glitch in his brain that he had to see these things over and over again. Yeah, I think by then, uh, sure, he, he, I think he had some serious mental challenges. You know, it's... <laughs> I, I really think he had some some challenges, and at the fact, I think also the fact that plane crash might have, uh, you know, hurt his mental health in some way. Is it true that he used to store his urine in like glass bottles? That's what they say, and nobody has, <laughs> has counted that. Um, a lot of crazy things that he did at the time. Unbelievable! It's amazing. He also bought. This is what kind of thing you can do with money, and you know, if you're rich. And you do crazy things, then people call you eccentric. If you're poor and you do crazy things, they just say you're crazy. Um, apparently, he bought a, a hotel and a casino across the road from where he stayed in Las Vegas just because the sign had this neon silver slipper that he could see from his bedroom and it kept him awake at night. So he bought the place and shut it down. You know that's the, and, and the other thing which which <laughs> he, he put that was exactly the type of person and and he put the the mafia's noses totally out of joint. You know a lot of people were too scared to to take the mafia on, and he just didn't give a shit. He um he started buying up their land and where they started running their operations, he just bought the place and kicked them out. So he sort of cleaned up the city. You know he, uh, where corporates could now come back in because he yeah. you know the. The mob had their setups, and now he said, well, I own it, and you guys can leave. Yeah. well, Strong he, personality. And he could also affect policy. I mean, they used to do nuclear testing near his properties in Nevada, or far enough away that they weren't going to pollute the city with radiation, but close enough that they could feel the vibrations. And he wielded so much political influence in Nevada that he actually got them to stop. And the tests eventually went through despite his efforts. But um, the detonations used to cause shockwaves in his hotels and he would swear and curse. And he used to send representatives 
with bribes of a million dollars to try and persuade Lyndon Johnson and Richard mm. Nixon to stop the nuclear tests. I mean, a, a million dollar in cash bribes yeah. to a president. Yeah, look, I mean, he was larger than life. Uh, but I think at that time, then he, he was starting to move around a lot as well. He, he went to the bah- Bahamas, Nicaragua, Canada, England, Las Vegas, Mexico, and always in these luxury hotels and, and, um, and lock, completely locked down with his own staff. So none of the hotel staff ever came into those rooms to clean it or do anything. Oof, can you imagine? Anyway, so I suppose you've got yeah. to take the good with the bad. You know, genius lives right next door to madness. And if there's ever a person who proved it, it was Howard Hughes. Yeah, that's so true. Thanks for listening to this episode of Blind History. Every episode is available on the Cliff Central app, cliffcentral.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.